Good afternoon, folks. It's that time again, 1 p.m. on Saturday. Time for The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM, 99.1 FM Talk. And for all of our listeners, we're also available on podcast. You can catch us on Apple, Amazon, and Spotify under The Elephant in the Room. This is your host, Sam DeMarco, and we have an exciting show planned for you today. As always, or usually, I'm joined in the studio here today by my trusty executive director, John Schneider, the Calvin College of executive directors here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and our producer, Dazzling Daryl Grandy, the guy that makes all the magic happen. And I was telling you, we have a great show for you today, and that's because we have a special guest in studio, one of my good friends, state representative from the 46th Pennsylvania House Legislative District, Jason Ortitai. Jason, welcome to the show. It's good to be back again. I think this is my second Thir- third time? Well, you joined, yes, oh. but you joined us by phone previously, oh, but hey, oh, yeah. you were in studio here today, I, and we have you, and I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming in. I mean, I'm happy to be here. I mean, it's better than being in Harrisburg, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, boy, I can believe that. I'll tell you, you know, talk about, we hear all these things here about the budget impasse, okay? And it's like funny because, you know, uh, the listeners here, and and, and Daryl and John and myself, we're really bystanders. We're subject to what we hear in the media, you know, and we know that we don't always get, you know, the, the straight scoop. So, hey, let's get it right from the horse's mouth here. On the show, the elephant in the room. You can tell we're animal lovers, folks. Uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about the budget situation in Harrisburg and where it stands today. Yeah, so today is uh, June 50th. Uh, we're required to get a budget done by the end of June every year. So today, it's, uh, we're not doing June 30th. We're 20 days late as of today, uh, which, you know, you know, the last you know nine years I've been here, we've been late a few times. But you have d- you had divided government with Governor Wolf and right. Republican-held legislature, and that's a little bit different this year. And uh, quite honestly, getting information this year, being in the minority in the House this time as a Republican has been very different because we've not gotten any information and we've not had a seat at the table for any negotiations. Uh, now it's starting to feel like very few people have been at that table because we don't have an agreement on anything. I mean, there was an agreement a couple weeks. Well, I can't even say a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we were still in Harrisburg. We came back after uh, the 4th of July, but the Senate Republicans and Governor Shapiro made a deal. Um, It included a lot of priorities that the governor wanted in his budget address, the spending number that he was looking for. Uh, And it appears that the House Republic, or I'm sorry, the Senate Republicans wanted the school voucher bill. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's basically an opportunity scholarship for kids in low performing school districts, the bottom 15% that meet a certain poverty limit uh, to be given a voucher to go to another school, to give them a lifeline, a way out. Uh, and that line item was for about $100 million. Well, that agreement was fine. The The Senate moved the, the lifeline scholarship bill out of the Senate, passed the chamber, uh, almost on party lines. There was one Democrat senator who voted for it. I think it was Senator Williams, mm-hmm. uh, who was very vocal about his support right. for it. Uh, and it kicked over to the chamber. The uh, The House Democrats brought it up in rules committee and voted it down a- as soon as it got there. Now, the, the reason the Senate sent that over first is, is because they wanted the House to pass that bill before we passed the GA bill to make sure that it had support because it was a new line item. So then the Senate passes the GA bill, which is the big, that has all the numbers in it. Uh, and keep in mind, the budget itself is usually a package of anywhere from five to eight bills. So the GA bill lists all the numbers, all the line items and all the numbers, and all the other code bills that are associated with make mm-hmm. up that make up the package are the think of it as the instruction manual. The enabling legislation, yeah. right. Like how to spend it, what how to set up the programs. It basically mm-hmm. 
gives the statutory authority for the governor and the administration to spend the money. It's the instructions. It's the instructions, right. 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 So the Senate pass it, passes the GA bill, comes over to the House. There's a lot of arguments going back and forth. Democrats are balking, telling the governor they can't support the, the school voucher bill in there. Everyone, all the political people are active, telling people to vote no, vote yes. Well, you know, it's a couple of days before the deadline. We got to get a budget done. Um and unfortunately, what happened was, is the House Democrats talked the governor into saying, hey, publicly, I will line item veto this new line item in the GA bill. Just pass it and send it to me and I'll line item veto it. And that's what the uh, and that's what the House Democrats did. They pulled up GA bill, passed it, sent it over to the governor. Well, they didn't send it over to the governor. This is where things get a little technical. Mm -hmm. um, so anytime a bill gets sent to the governor, it has to be signed by the presiding officer in each chamber on a session day. Since the Senate sent the bill over and then left, they don't have any session days until September. Well, the House could sign the bill. So the House signs the GA bill, the Speaker of the House signs it, and then it stays there until the Senate comes back into session. So technically the GA bill, the budget bill, has not been sent to the governor and will not be sent to the governor until the Senate comes back in, uh, which gives the Senate uh, a little bit of time and some leverage to renegotiate a deal with the governor and the House Democrats to come to some sort of an agreement. Whether that happens or not, or maybe it's happening behind the scenes right now, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see, but the Senate is not scheduled to come back in until the middle of September right now. Well, judging by social media and the things that I see out there, I don't believe that there are any negotiations going on right now because it seems like they're at each other's throats, okay? <clears throat> the Senate Republicans rightly feel as if they've been misled and betrayed because they negotiated in good faith, putting many things into that budget that they normally wouldn't. I mean, I think the increase in basic education funding was like $575 million, right? The highest increase we've ever had in history. You, They also, under, and under folks, you need to understand what this is about. Don't let this talk about vouchers as all of a sudden this is some big deal, okay? Uh, or this is the issue. No, <laughs> what Republicans are trying to do is give a lifeline to the students that are trapped in failing public schools because of their zip code, right? We know all the data has shown us that the surest way out of poverty is education. That you know that the surest way to avoid corrections, you know, and be in jail is to get a good education. And, and I cite that because I cite figures from our Department of Corrections which show many of the folks that are in our prisons are unable to read or to do math at any more than like a fourth grade level, okay? And, and, and that's, that's part of the problem. So during the, the, all the wolf years that I've been in office over the last eight years, we've added billions with a B of more dollars for education spending. And over the last decade, our scores have not gone up. They've not gotten any better. Now you can blame COVID, but the score rate was already going down. Look at our statewide literacy rate in our proficiency rating by the end of third grade. We're at 34% proficient. We should not be proud of that. We started the decade at, at 39. Yes. And we dipped two points during COVID, but from 2010 to 2019 pre-COVID, we were already going down. And that that was with billions of dollars of more money. So at some point in time, we, have, we as a legislature need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, well, gee, what we're doing just isn't working. Maybe more money isn't necessarily the answer. So let's try something new. And with that, I think the last time I was here, we talked about the uh, state Supreme Court, or I'm sorry, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth Court, Court decision. With, yep. the edu with fair, equitable funding across the state, 
why not try this? Why not make this part of the bigger package of fulfilling our constitutional obligation here instead of just throwing more money? Look, the governor gets what he wants, almost $600 million more in additional spending and education. The Senate Republicans get what they want with the $100 million school voucher program. It's compromise, and that's what every single budget is. But you're right. The governor made a deal. And then he said, oh, well, I can't get my party in line to go with it. So now I have to renege on my deal. Uh, and in my mind, if you're going to do that, then that blows up the whole deal and let's start all over again. But I think there's a bigger problem at play. If the governor gave his word that he was going that like this was the deal and this is what he was going to get House Democrats to go along with. Mm-hmm. And then you break that word. All you're I mean, all you are in Harrisburg is your word. Exactly. That's and all we are in life. So. I don't know where we go from here. I think uh, moving forward, not just in this budget, but the next three budgets that this governor has to do, it's going to be hard to trust him. Well, well, folks, again, this isn't about an R versus D issue. What you have are tens of thousands of children that are trapped in schools that are currently failing them. You just heard Jason talk about how the proficiency level is a third of what it should be, okay? And Republicans... You know, they came to the table and they said, we want to we want to help them, but we're also trying to help public education. This isn't an attack on public education, because in addition to the one hundred million dollars that Republicans set aside to be used for these lifeline scholarships, they also provided an additional one hundred million dollars above and beyond the five hundred seventy five million dollars, you know, in basic education funding for what they called level up funding. This is supposed to be dedicated to the bottom 15% of these failing schools where these kids are to try to help fund these folks and help them bring their schools up to speed so the kids can get an education. So this isn't about Republicans versus Democrats. This isn't about vouchers versus a union. What this is about is are we going to take and do what we've been are constitutionally obligated to do, which is to educate the children that we have in our communities. And when I see, I saw a tweet out there by Emily Kincaid, you know, a state representative from Allegheny County, you know, pushing back on this. And it's like, how can you take and, and, and doom these children, you know, to, you know, a lesser life because you're getting contributions from the teachers' unions? It's just, it's just, I, I absolutely. Uh, I, I just can't understand it. It's it's amazing to me to hear the arguments. And, you know, I, I've heard some of them. I did some speaking engagements earlier this week uh, at a couple places in my district. And uh, just the overall messaging and the, and the misinformation that's out there, like, oh, this is coming out of property taxes dollars. It is not. It is a completely separate line item in the budget. Not a single penny comes from any single school district or out of any school district. And the argument can be made that the school districts are still being held harmless and still getting the money for that student that they will not have to educate. So, you know, we go back and forth on this all the time. But at the end of the day, I'm still yet to hear a solid, reasonable argument against doing this. Like this is this is why we're here Let's try something new. We know education doesn't like it's not a one size fits all. People, some people learn via like cyber charter schools. They learn online. Some people do homeschool. Some people need a different like some like the Votech schools. Like everybody learns differently. Let's try to like, come up with a way that we can cater to all of our students. I mean, it's the year 2023. There's no reason why we can't be tracking a student's progress, individual progress. 
And when they veer off of a proficiency track or they're not performing the way that they're supposed to be, to come up with an individual educational plan mm -hmm. to get them back on track. That's the IEP, yep. right? That's what they talk about. Why can't we do that for every kid? We can track a package from San Francisco, <laughs> California to New York City every stop along the way, but we can't do it for our kids because we refuse to change our education system that's rooted in the 1920s. And, and the frustrating thing for me are the folks on the other side who are continuously claiming they need more money. The, the, the Pittsburgh Public Schools budget is over $680 million, and they only have 21,000 students. They're currently spending over $30,000 per student. Well, we just talked about that. More money has not equated better scores and better exactly. students and, and more education. Like it has, a matter of fact, it has watered it down. It, the scores are getting worse. What, so what is going on here? Yeah, Governor, Governor Shapiro is running around to taking victory laps here because he's added additional money into his budget you know, for, for breakfasts, okay? Or excuse me, lunches. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's great. But the schools are intended to teach kids. Okay, how about we focus on that? Well, I mean, I'm all for providing the, the, the lunches and the breakfast. But, but again, if you just want to feed them, send them to a restaurant. Well, and, Let's and, educate them. And, and that's the thing. That part needs to be wrangled out in a fiscal code because without fiscal code, that program can't be implemented. Mm -hmm. But schools have gotten really away from their core functions. I mean, we were, we've been talking about reading. Math scores are way down to over the last decade. Why aren't we focusing on these things? We kind of veer off the edge. You know, Rep Gatos always talks about how schools are, are getting rid of their gifted programs because they're not required. Uh, it's it's basic, a basic watering down of our education system. Instead of like taking our exceptional students and raising them up, we're bringing them back down and not giving them those opportunities. You know, I, I mean, I've been championing um, science of reading, uh, early literacy for the last two years. We got a part of it in the budget last year, but it's still voluntary. You know, I've, we've, I've got a bill now. It's a bipartisan bill, even though it's a Republican-led initiative, to really change how we teach reading across the, the state. Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. I was looking at the literacy scores for, for Washington County, Allegheny County's neighbor, and there was only one school above 50%. Right. I mean, that that is embarrassing, it, to me, shows that what we're doing isn't working. And it goes back to your point of we keep pumping more and more money into our school system, expecting a different result. And we keep getting more of the same, more of the same, not better, more of the same, if not worse. Wasn't that Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results? Well, in politics, apparently it's, oh, well, look what I look how much money I got for this. It, right. It's not about touting actual results. It's about, I got more money for this, or I got money for that grant and for that problem. Oh, a problem that I created by having horrible policies. Right. I mean, it's like the perfect political, you know, circle here, you know, well, there's a problem I have to solve. So I have to spend more money to solve the problem, but there's still the problem that I haven't resolved, but I got more money for it. Right. I mean, it just perpetuates itself. That's the, you know, that's the most frustrating thing about me serving in public office is, you know, I did this because I wanted to take and provide solutions to problems. Right. Uh, but to have to try to work with so many people as you're describing here who aren't interested in solving the problem, but really just are happy to have the problem so that they can use it as an issue is very disappointing and disheartening. Well, and that, that's what we've seen with House Democrats this time around. Look, I know Republicans are in the minority. We don't have a lot of control over By what happens. By one vote. By one. It's a 102 to 101. Well, actually, it's 101 to 101 now with the recent resignation out here in Allegheny County uh, for at least a, another two months. But we won't be voting until after that seat's filled, so it'll probably stay the same. Um, but, you know, 
we don't have control. And the House Democrats seem to be more interested in pushing a political narrative and getting ready for the next election to win more seats than they are about solving problems. And I hope the voters see through that next election cycle so we have a shot to take the House back uh, so that we can have a Republican-led House, so we can get back to the core functions of fixing these policies Mm -hmm. uh, that we've been talking about, specifically in education. Tell us a little bit more about your reading initiative. So, absolutely. So, so last year, um, I actually had seven bills passed as part of the education code. And one of them was science of reading, structured literacy. Uh, Basically, what we did was, is we required all of our post-secondary schools for teacher programs to train these new teachers coming through the pipeline on structured literacy, because structured literacy is rooted in data over 30 or 40 years of actual data that proves that teaching how to, kids how to read this certain way actually leads to a higher proficiency rates. Mississippi has done it. Mm-hmm. Ohio has recently done it. North Carolina, Florida, Denver, or I'm sorry, Colorado, um, New York. New York City is actually in the process of doing it too. Mississippi, probably one of the most impoverished states uh, with the most minority students in the Without country. Right. Over the last decade, they have done this, and they're one of the top-performing states in the country in literacy now. I'll tell you what, that's fantastic news. So it's it's a great model to, to base it off of. So last year, I just, we, we were trying to get the whole thing. We wanted the whole loaf of bread, but we were only able to get a few of the crumbs in, which we made it voluntary for school districts to participate in. We did the thing with teaching um, teachers while they're in college about this, and we got pushback on this too from mm-hmm. a lot of faculty at the colleges. Um, and then we also made it so that um, the PDE had to come up with curriculum that they could use. So I want to take it a step further. I want to make it mandatory for every single school district to do this. I want to create a line item in the budget. And we never got numbers on this, but I'm I'm guessing between 25 and $50 million for every school to get the training and the resources they need to teach their teachers how to teach this specific mm-hmm. way so that every school can do it. Now, some schools are already doing this. Um, I will tell you that my local school district, Cannon Mac, just completed the training this summer, and they're going to be implementing it this year for the first time. Now, they've done it voluntarily, and I think uh, from what I talked to one of their assistant superintendents told me it cost them about $30,000 to do. But they're really excited about the changes they're seeing, right. uh, and the teachers are excited about it too. Now, Cannon Mac has one of the higher proficiency ratings. I think they were around 60% with their reading at the end of third grade. So they're looking to change that. They're like, that's not acceptable. And if the statewide's at 32 and they're at 60, you know, right. we got some we got some ground to make up here. Uh, but all of this is rooted in data. It's a proven theory that works. Other states are doing it, yet we're not doing it here. Well, when you, you know, allocating money is one part of this, okay? Writing the fiscal code as to how it's to be implemented is another. Right. But from an implementation perspective, and what's the best way to do this? Would it be to take work with the intermediate units for these uh areas here or would it be to just work school district by school district what do you think is the best way to try to implement something like that so if, if to me it's better to do this statewide because we were going to part of this legislation is to task pd with with bringing creating a list of high quality vendors that create the curriculum so that every school district doesn't have to reinvent the wheel they don't mm-hmm. have to go out and vet different uh, vendors that are out there 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 are a number of vendors that are high quality but there's also a number of vendors who are not and they just kind of take the name and they go through the motions. And we've seen that in other states where they said, oh, we can just use any vendor. Well, no, we want to use high quality. Right. And we set a standard for that. So 
while we're waiting for the administration to really respond on whether or not this is something they want to do, what I'm encouraging everybody to do is reach out to their school board members, their superintendents, and their teachers and say, hey, we want structured literacy taught in our school districts. Schools are able to do this on their own. They can change the curriculum. They can do the training. They can do all of this stuff on their own. But we need parents to really push this home in the schools until we can get this implemented at the state level. Because without that, I don't. It might be another year because there's a financial component to this. Uh, I don't know that. I honestly think it's too late to get it into this year's budget because they've already we've already kind of passed the GA bill. So we're already looking at next year. So that puts us back in a whole nother year. So I'm asking all of our parents out there to go to your school board meetings and demand this change, demand structured literacy for your kids. Because if we can't get our kids to read by the end of third grade, I mean, all the data shows they're not going to catch up right. until they they're, hit 11th they're, they're, grade. They're going to be way behind. Yeah. yeah. And 50% of the people who are incarcerated throughout our state jails right now are illiterate. I mean, we could yeah. do a lot of damage here. I mean, some really good stuff here by just teaching our kids how to read. They could find their interest. We can keep them out of jail. We can keep them productive. We can help them find their calling in life. We can really help them zone in their education and provide so many opportunities for them. But for whatever reason, we're stuck in the same old, same old. And you know what? I brought up uh, State Representative Emily Kincaid from Allegheny County. But there's a whole bunch of them. You know, you got Representative Jessica Benham. You got Representative Dan Frankel. You got Representative, uh, who took Jake Wheatley's spot? Uh, Aaron, Aaron Abley, okay? Uh, but there's a bunch of these folks out there. You got State Representative Arvin Venkat, okay? These are all folks that wouldn't vote, you know, for this bill with the vouchers and things like this. Uh, but yet, they're the ones that are claiming that we're leaving black and brown children behind. And I want to tell you, I talked briefly about that $100 million that the Pennsylvania Senate, the, the, the Republicans in the Senate put together to help these low-performing schools, it's notable that not a single dime of that $100 million was going to go to a single school in the Pittsburgh Public School District when 18 of their schools were in the bottom 15% performing statewide. So here, they don't want to help, and they're not looking out. They're not looking out you know, for the schools and for the kids that are in their communities, and I think that this is absolutely shameful. Look, we've got a lot of work to do in the education world. Everybody, I mean, you can say what you will about Governor Wolf. All he wanted to do was pump more money into the system. And that's been the MO for as long as I can remember. Look, money's great, folks. But without policy changes and proven proven methods of teaching that actually work, we're going to fall behind. We're going to continue to lose our youth. We're going to continue to fall behind uh, when it comes to math and, and, and reading scores. You know, what do you expect to happen here? I mean, if you want to go out and claim political victory that you stopped a $100 million voucher bill, be my guest. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, it's the kids who are going to suffer, and the kids are suffering now. Well, again, you know, Jason, you are a diplomat, okay? And you work with these folks, and you have to, right? I can be the political bad guy here, okay? But it's just frustrating that the people who are always claiming, if we can just save one child, if we can just save one child, isn't it worth it? Or here, just writing off tens of thousands of children across this great commonwealth. It's incredibly frustrating. It is. And it ha- it's year after year, you- we go through the same battle and... You know, it would be nice to have a unified government, but you know, until then, we I I do my best to be diplomatic because we we do on you know right now being in the minority, we have to work across the aisle to get things done. I mean, I think I I just spoke to a a group last night. Uh, Leadership Pittsburgh has a community connectors program for veterans, where a number of veterans help or come in and help networking and help 
acclimate these folks back in the community, introducing the folks, things like that. So I'm part of that. And uh, I was joined in a panel yesterday by, uh, you know, uh, Fox Chapel Borough Councilman, you know, Brad Harrison, who's a Republican, and then also, but former state Senator Pam Iovino, you know, Navy veteran and former state Senator, and Connor Lamb, you know, a, a, a Marine Corps veteran and former Congressman. So you had folks from different parties, but, and we were talking to these folks about, you know, how we got into politics, right? How we moved from the civilian sector, the military, and into service. But one of the things we all talked about is, you know, you have a letter by your name when you're running for office. But when you're in that office, you represent everybody. And your job is to work together to try to provide solutions you know, to the problems that are facing your constituents. And, and that includes both Republicans, Democrats, and independents. And, and that, I think, is lacking today. Oh, it is. And, you know, I've worked with everyone you've mentioned, with the exception of the, the gentleman from Fox Chapel, yourself included in that. You know, I shared part of a district with, with Pam Iovino and, you know, Connor Lamb was his part of his congressional districts over mine. I never, never had an instance dealing with any of the three of you mm -hmm. where I've called you for help for a constituent where any of you have ever asked me if they were a Democrat or Republican that right. needed help. When I needed help from them, they're like, all right, give me the information. Let's figure out how we can figure this out. I mean, to your credit, you've always, every every time I've needed help, you've gotten me to point to the right person. You know, to Connor Lamb's credit, anytime I needed help with a flooding issue, a uh, constituent issue, his office was always helpful. Mm -hmm. He didn't care. He didn't care if it was Democrat exactly. or Republican. Look, it, it, it's... We're here to help. That that's ultimately gets back to your message of why we ran. That's ultimately why I'm here, because I believe that I can help make a difference in the lives of these people. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in the political side of scoring right. points for the sake of scoring points. Now, I, I know that's a part of my job, um, but I think at some point we do need to bring the temperature down because things things are getting to the point where it's just it's hard to even have a conversation anymore. And, and that's, that's very disappointing and it's very frustrating because we really need to make progress on some of these uh, issues if we're going to take and be able to move this commonwealth forward and to provide our new generation, our, our newest generations, with opportunities in the future because that's what this is all about. Folks, we're going to have to take a break here to pay the bills here. We'll be right back with Jason after uh, the, the break on The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room, 1320 AM on WJAS. Uh, this is Sam DeMarco, your host on Elephant in the Room, and uh, just doing a little bit of reset here. We're in studio. We were just speaking with State Representative Jason Ortitai from the 46th Pennsylvania House Legislative District. And in the first segment, Jason was giving us a big lowdown on the budget process, what was happening in Harrisburg, and you know some of his initiatives, which it was the reading initiative, you know, for education, because what we're finding out is across the Commonwealth, we have a proficiency rate for reading of under one third. It's like 32%. Folks, that is unacceptable. So Jason, you were just talking about that and how important that was. Can you do us a favor? Please get information on that initiative and then your call to action. We can put in our newsletter, you know, and push out to our folks here to try to get them engaged to your point to go and speak to their school boards to demand that their school districts, you know, take and uh, reach out for this structured literacy. Yep. That's the program? Science of Reading Structured Literacy. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. Um, I know I've put out a few press releases. I'll get those out to you to you guys Thank as you. well. And we're, we're, I'm working on a few other things once we get through this budget about really, like, really honing in on this. Uh, because I, just, uh, to me, it's one of the most important things that we can do. Okay. Okay, great. Well, you know, we talked in the first segment about the budget process and I mean, who knows where that's going to go here right now? Currently, there's an impasse. And while the Democrats in the House 
had a 102 to 101 member advantage. Now, uh, with the resignation earlier this week of Representative Sarah Inamorato, candidate for county executive here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, now it's a 101 to 101 tie. But it seems like the Democrats are trying to be too cute by half. You know, and Speaker Joanna McClinton, uh, I think, may have pushed Representative Inamorato to resign so that she could hold a special election, which they've scheduled for September 19th here in Allegheny County. And they're not planning to go back into session, you know, until a week later. So, I mean... Very convenient how this worked out. We've been asking for a fall session schedule now for for at least the last month so we could, you know, kind of plan accordingly, district events, all that good stuff. And then all of a sudden we get word that Representative Inorado is resigning. Oh, and coincidentally, her special election will be the week before we come back because we're scheduled to come back, I believe, on September 28th, which means they'll be able to have the election and swear in the new member by the time we get back the following week, putting them back at 102 to 101 instead of finishing the budget cycle, that basically tells me that they don't have any desire or any urgency to come back and finish this budget uh, and to get this stuff done before the end of September. You know, whether that's a, you know, I personally find that offensive, but I don't make those decisions. That's up to the speaker and the House Democrat leader. And if that's what they want to do, that's on them. Well, what's really offensive about it is that without the budget being passed, while there are certain things in the budget, as you alluded to in the first segment, that require a fiscal code bill, there are a lot of budgeted items in there that don't, okay? And by pushing this off till the end of September, you know, now you have a, uh, you know, until when, when until this budget is signed, you know, you're going to have school districts and other government entities out there that may not have the reserves or resources to be able to draw on. Well, and, and that's, you know, that's the thing. So some schools, like right now, property taxes are being collected. So some schools are able to, they'll be fine maybe the first couple of months. But there are some schools, like you said, that don't have reserves. They don't have any ARPA money left from the, from the feds. So basically, what are they going to do if we don't pass a budget by October? I mean, we're kind of looking at that right square in the face right now if we're not back till the end of September. You know, county services, nonprofits are going to feel it probably first. You're probably going to start to hear from them over the next month. Uh, maybe the, the the second month here. Uh, state employees will be fine as long as they show up for work. They have to be paid. Uh, that was a federal lawsuit, I believe, under the Rendell administration during some of those budget impasses. Uh, but I, I want to get back to the point of just working over the summer here. Look, we all want a summer break. It's nice to have a little bit of time off. And when I say time off, I just mean time back in the district. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But I remember I was on the budget committee. I was on the appropriations committee during some of these impasses with Governor Wolf. My butt was in Harrisburg, and we were literally working almost every single day to try to come up with ideas and compromises and different suggestions on a way to get something done. Mm -hmm. And right now there is nothing going on. There are no talks. There's nobody sitting in a room. Nobody's trying to come up with innovative ideas or a way to work this out. And we're a full-time legislature. We're one of the only ones in the country, yet we're all, we were all sent home on a 12-hour call and nobody's doing anything. And I remember that because, you know, in the past number of years, I've worked with you communicating with you while you were stuck in Harrisburg doing that. And you tried to keep me informed as to what was happening. So I knew as the head of the party and as the member of the large member on Allegheny County Council is to where the budget process was. And one of the other dismaying things here, Jason, that I've seen is it seems that the Democrats in Harrisburg in the PA House seem to be running what I would call messaging bills, okay? Uh, these aren't solutions to any problem. Uh, they know that these things aren't going to pass, but they're just taking and running these bills looking to create trouble so that they can go home to their districts and say, hey, look what we did. And Republicans in the Senate, 
oh, they're the bad folks and they blocked it. Yeah, and if you if you walk down the halls of the Capitol, you'll see on various offices, a, a, a basically what you just said, a checklist of all the things that they promised to do. Guess what, folks? You need two chambers and a governor's signature to get a bill done. Just because it passes one chamber doesn't mean you check the box. And that's been the problem. It's been their way or the highway. They have they have filed so many motion to table our amendments every time we bring them up. They've filed that and, and motions to cut off debate more times in the first couple months that they've been in power than we did in the entire eight years that, that I've been in office. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is ridiculous the amount of things that they do to avoid voting and compromising with a, and I'll quote from the, from the majority leader, a humble majority that they have, right. that they go out of their way not to work with us. And if if they are truly serious on getting their initiatives done, you would think at some point they'd stop and say, well, we need Republicans to pass this in the Senate. Why wouldn't they work with us in the House to at least start that process instead of just ramming through what they think a high-level person uh, that's going to look good on a palm card or on a TV commercial for their next campaign ad? No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, And you were talking about, we're talking about these messaging bills, things that aren't going to pass. I mean, some of them, their bills are so bad, they can't even get to the floor. I mean, Representative Inamorado, I think, had like 54 or 56 bills that never even made it out of committee, okay? Uh, it's just, it's mind-boggling. But they're putting up bills, folks. They're trying to put up bills, uh, and they call them gun safety. But again, these are the same people that don't want to prosecute the folks that are committing gun crimes today. These are the same people that want to allow criminals out of jail but yet they want to take and restrict the rights of the law-abiding folks because only the law-abiding people follow the law. Well, let's think about that for a second. So we're not, we're, we have DAs that don't actively prosecute gun crime mm-hmm. and, and gun laws that are already on the books, but let's pass some more right. that, they won't, that they won't prosecute because that will solve the problem. It, I mean, it defies logic. I had a conversation with someone uh, over the weekend and they were saying, I don't understand why anyone needs to own an AR-15 or something. Look, regardless of an AR-15 uh, or what your feelings are as a particular piece of firearm, okay? The issue is, uh, it's already against the law to carry a firearm into a school, the gun-free zones. It's already against the law to take and commit murder or to shoot folks. But yet the people that commit these heinous crimes, they break the law. So laws in and of themselves don't work, but yet these same people are the same folks who demand, like in the city of Pittsburgh, they don't want police in their schools. Well, why wouldn't we want to protect our kids? Because they're the most precious thing that we have, right? We protect our money in the banks with armed security. We protect our airports. Why wouldn't we want to protect our children? So again, this gets back to what I said before. There are folks out there that don't want a solution to a problem, it seemed just to want an issue. And to me, I, I, I just, you know, it, it's good that I'm old, Jason, because in the old days, you know, I would have maybe, you know, grabbed a few <laughs> by the collar and jacked some folks up because it's, this is, I, you know, it, again, we're, people are looking for solutions to their problems. That's why they elect us. They want to be able to work their jobs and raise their families. And when they, after election day, and they send you or other representatives to Harrisburg or Washington or to Grant Street. They expect you to work on their behalf. And to find so many out there who aren't is very disappointing. Well, unfortunately, that's just where we've arrived at modern day politics right now. You have a lot of people who are in it for themselves. Me, me, me. You know, you know when I first took office, it was, it was surprising to me 
that a lot of people would ask me, hey, hey, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. Can, can I come see you? Yeah, you can come see me. Like, right. it was just amazing to me that people thought just because I was a Republican mm -hmm. that Democrats weren't allowed in my office. No, I represent all Everybody, of you. Everybody, exactly. It, it's, not, it's not just I get to pick and choose who I want. Now, obviously, there are people who are not going to agree with me, but my job is to represent my people, put my personal views aside. My job is to do what I believe is best in the best interest of my people and what I believe my people that I represent want me to do. That's how I vote. It's mm -hmm. not that, like, th of course there are some things that I probably are much more conservative on than maybe my district, or maybe I'm more, maybe a, a little less conservative on than my district, but I put those feelings aside. But I'm trying to have conversations with people, and I think at the end of the day, we're only ever going to get out of this rut if people just start talking again. If we keep villainizing Republicans and saying that they just want to see kids die and because they don't want gun control, I mean, that is the most bogus BS argument I've ever heard in my life. You know, all the school safety measures, they were Republican-led initiatives in the state in the state government like those were things that my that I personally worked on and I found it absolutely insulting to me when I worked on that stuff that people were telling me oh because I voted against gun bills that I want to see kids die I'm like go back five years and look at my body of work go look at the House Republicans body of work on school safety mm -hmm. and and tell me what we did that made kids so much worse off like give me a break oh you're I, I couldn't agree more I've had a colleague on county council uh, tell me that I should resign and go move to a red county where I could then vote and run anti-worker legislation because I opposed you know, a bill that she had that was complete overreach on behalf of council to raise minimum wage of high school kids working part-time in snack bars to $20 an hour. Okay. I mean, and, 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 you know, uh, I agree with you and, you know, our, our desire or wish to be able to communicate and talk to folks I, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. You know, I talked about Representative Anna Morado having resigned. Special election is going to be held in her district on September 19th. But if anything is really going to change with the gerrymandering that the state Supreme Court did with former Pitt Chancellor Mark Nordenberg's help, that district is uh, so Democrat. Here's the breakdown of that House district. Republicans, there are 12,478. They make up 26.2% of that the voting members of that district. Democrats, 28,140, 59% of that district. So it's more than two to one, D to R there. And then others, which is a mix of independents, unaffiliated, Green Party, libertarians, things of that nature, there's 7,054 or 14.8%. <clears throat> so... That you know, with the redistricting that they did, uh, you know, after I, I think it was December 2021. Yeah, last uh, year. Yeah, when they did that, uh, they have really locked so many of these districts in with significant majorities that these folks can get elected without having to talk to or to take and compromise or to negotiate with folks of the other party to get solutions to the table. And when you see folks, and I'll use you know Summer Lee. At, uh, you know, in Congress, as an example, they're not interested in doing anything but being a queen of social media, okay? Well, that's the thing. At some point, you have to actually legislate. And I think, you know, you know, you know former Speaker uh, Torzai always said that. He's like, look, you can go out on the campaign trail all you want, but our, our goal, our job, we have to lead. We have to legislate. 
We have to get, like it was mm-hmm. constant with, with Governor Wolf. It was, we have to get a budget done. Whether we like it or not, we have to compromise because we have to work with a Democrat to get this deal done. And it is our responsibility after we get elected as a majority to actually legislate. Former Speaker Torzai took a lot of uh, barbs when he was a speaker there in Harrisburg, but his leadership is sorely missed, okay? Because he knew how to make that body function and how to be able to get things done. And, you know, Democrats, while they achieved this one-vote majority in this session, you know, I've had Democrats tell me they certainly weren't ready to govern, and I don't believe they still are. Well, it's it's point. it's obvious by just the, the, the lack of... This is the sloppy the the sloppy way that they write their bills. Um, they always need to be technically corrected. And look, it's not my job to correct their problems. Like right. if you have a crappy bill, I'm not going to make it better if it's something I think that's going to be a terrible policy initiative anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, again, you know, going back to to Speaker Torzai, you know, the man had an agenda, he had a goal, and he drove it home. Mm-hmm. That that was how he worked, and it worked. You know, he took us from the minority to the majority. And we got stuff done with a Democrat governor, nonetheless. Um, you know, I think we're going to have to do the same thing as Republicans. We're going to have to form an agenda, get back to basics, put our goals in place, and then go implement those goals. We can't just sit here and try to ride coattails off of what we've previously done. We have to show the people of the state in Allegheny County that Republicans have good ideas that will make their life better. Yep. I mean, I, you know, well said. Um, but will it happen? And I, I think that's what the people in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania are hoping for. That's what they expect, you know. But uh, again, I know, having worked with you, I know that that's your mission, you know, and that's something that you're dedicated to. Unfortunately, I don't see the same out of uh, some of the colleagues from the other side. Well, that's the thing. Once you get into power, it's it's very you don't want to give it up. I mean, it, it's not. Look, it's it was great being in the majority for eight years. You know, we could we control the agenda. We basically could run our own bills. I mean, we could do basically anything that we wanted to do as long as we were working with the Senate. And now it's like you've gone from all the way up here to being at the bottom now to not having a seat at the table. And it's uh, look, it, it it can be disappointing, but I see it as an opportunity because it's a it's a wake up call saying, listen, we we got complacent. Look, and I think a lot of my colleagues would agree that we got complacent there the last six months to the year that we were in the majority. Um, but now it's time to come back. It's time to reinvent ourselves, time to come up with some really good ideas. And we have them. I think they're out there. I think we just need to put them together in a format that people can see with a message that people understand that we're here to make your life better, to make life in Pennsylvania better, to recruit businesses to come here, to create jobs, to create a world-class education facility, not just for K through 12, but with our with our post-secondary schools and really make this a place where people want to come and live and, and raise a family. Um, you know, we can spend as much money as you want, but until we start changing policies, and I think that's where Republicans strive, is coming up with policies and really selling that message. I mean, we've just got to do a better job of it. We've got to get our, we've got to get everybody back on the same page. Uh, I know in, in certain places and pockets, whether it's in Allegheny County, Washington County, or, you know, Bedford County or Harrisburg, whatever, Republicans need to like, get over themselves and get back to working together. Because that's one thing the Democrats always manage to do. They keep all of their stuff behind the scenes. They don't attack each other in public. What do Republicans no. do? We attack each other in public. We need to stop that. We're all on the same team. We're all trying to make life better for everybody out there, and we all need to start working together. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, and it seems like Republicans in Harrisburg were trying to work together. You had the 
Republicans in the Senate working with Governor Shapiro, okay? And you folks have tried to work with your colleagues in the House. You've just been met with a stiff arm. They've given you the Heisman yeah. each time you've tried to... And, and look where you know, we are. We're at a budget impasse now. With we have, we don't know when we're coming back. We don't know when a budget's going to be getting done. And there's no work being done on the budget. So guess what? This is what the people elected. Um, you have House Democrats who are basically saying, "Well, we're not going to do anything over the summer." And you know, we'll see in September. Maybe October. Maybe October we'll get a budget done. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who cares that we're four or five months late? Doesn't matter. Well, I think I think the folks who are listeners who are listening to you understand and can see, or excuse me, can hear the passion in your voice, the enthusiasm you have for serving the community coming through. If they wanted to help you, okay, what could they do? How, how would they go about helping uh, you in, I know you're not up until next year, but you know, uh, how would they volunteer? How would they donate? Look, I, I, I'll, I'll take this opportunity. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna plug myself, but I think right now this should be a calling to, to all Republicans out there uh, and even everyone of any party who's out there listening to, to get involved, get behind good candidates, um, you know, especially for, uh, and I'll speak to Republicans here too, join a local party. Like we have a bunch of parties out there. I mean, you can be a member of the county party. That's great. But the local parties and the townships and the boroughs that we have out there, we need local people to help us not only find good candidates, but support them. We need a ground game. We've been getting our butts kicked on the ground game for many years now. Um, and that's the most important thing. Look at if you can reach out to Sam, reach out to John. Uh, there's local committees spread all throughout Allegheny County and Washington County. They're out there. We just need people to, to volunteer their time. And we're not looking for a full t- We're not looking to give these people uh, or any of you a full time job out there. You know, if you can give us an hour here or there, you know, once a month or twice a month or, or something like that, that goes a long way. Making phone calls, knocking on doors. Um, doing social media posts, like talking to your friends, talking to your family, uh, helping people register to vote. All those things, they all matter. They might seem small and insignificant, but they all add up. You know, if we're going to compete in this day and age, we need that. I, I mean, I I see the, the just how many people are missing from these local committees. Like we need people to, to step up. And until until you do, it, it's, it's, it's tough for us. It's tough for us candidates uh, who are out there running. I mean, in the state house, we run every couple of years. I mean, I've been blessed and fortunate that I have good people out there who have supported me, uh, but we need more people out there. Um, and we need to build a bench because, you know, we have people who have been around for a while and, you know, we need to make sure that we have people waiting in the wings to, to take over uh, and, and step up. And you can get that through experiencing, through volunteering on people's campaigns, but you know, you can even donate money. That also helps too. Like Citizens for Jason or Titi will always take your money um, and it will be spent wisely and well. We uh, not only on myself, but I am happy to help other like-minded candidates, uh, other Republicans uh, in our area and across the state. I think that's important too, is helping other Republicans get elected, mm-hmm. uh, especially once you get in office. I think that could be one of the most important things we do. But look, I'm out there. I'm happy to help, happy to talk to anybody who, who's out there. But really, just we need Republicans to step up and start volunteering. Couldn't agree more. Now, hey, do you have any big projects or anything that is ongoing in your district today that you would like to highlight? Oh, my gosh. After killing the uh, the tolling, uh, the wolf tolling plan. And thank goodness you oh did. Oh, my gosh. That was, uh, that, that was uh, you know, I hated that they did it. But I tell you what, I enjoyed every second of destroying that, that plan. And not just locally here on 79, <laughs> but all nine bridges across the state. 
after we won that court case, every one of them fell by the wayside. So I was very, very proud of that. Right now, we're just working on economic development. You know, we had recently uh, completed the, the Southern Beltway expansion, which uh, takes us from South Point all the way to the uh, Pittsburgh airport. We're working on uh, bringing businesses and relocating them along that that corridor there. You know, not only, I mean, South Fayette, a big portion of that we're looking to develop because we want to reduce property taxes there. It's a, it's a big issue because we don't have a lot of business in South Fayette. But I tell you what, South Fayette's one of the fastest growing areas in all of Pennsylvania, and we are bringing business in left and right. We're looking to to develop Newberry, which I think we could see a few big signings here by the end of the year. Uh, some nice busy. We saw the, the Star City property looks amazing now with the development over there. It was a dilapidated old theater. Now you've got UPMC Children's over there. You've got Firebirds, a restaurant, Bartram's over there. There's another restaurant going in. There's some offices. I mean, it, it, what they've done with that space is just amazing. And with the Southern Beltway going right through South Fayette, right into Cecil Township, I mean, I expect that to, to blow up even more with business development. So I'm, I'm, that's the big thing. I'm, I'm looking to, to bring jobs to this area to keep people flowing. Well, we appreciate your hard work on, on the behalf of the constituents in your area. And, you know, we, we talked about how you and I are friends too. You know, before I moved to North Fayette, you know, I lived in South Fayette for a number of years, you know, right off of uh, Old Washington Pike there mm. across from Country Meadows. You know, so I have a soft spot for South Fayette and the Bridgeville area in my heart here too. You know, feel like that was you know, part of where I grew up. So uh, to see them doing well, to see so many of these new projects, these things coming online, you know, they're going to benefit those folks is just something that, uh, you know, couldn't be more pleased. And it takes, look, it takes teamwork and it takes a vision to do that. I was, you know, happy to, to work with a local, and that's that goes back to Republicans working with local control, working with local government to come up with a vision and a plan for how, how are we going to do this? Because when I took office, you know, Newberry, was basically looking at bankruptcy. It was a dirt patch on 79, and it had just stalled. Um, and now we've got Tesla over there, BJ's, Top Golf is over there, uh, and we have all this potential to, I, I believe we're gonna be bringing in a recreational facility over there here shortly as well. I mean, that development is really starting to, to come to be. It's taken some time, but we've gotten it done, but we've also done some road improvements over there. And that could not have happened without South Fayette and Bridgeville working together in coordination with myself, then Senator Guy Reschenthaler, uh, now Senator Robinson, you know, we've worked on this stuff together. And, you know, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat right. who's there. Uh, and just it, it really creates so much opportunity for the people that you represent. Again, whether they're D, R, independent, mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm just trying to, to give people the kind of life they're looking for by bringing opportunities to their area. Well, I've tried to tell folks, you know, that are, are in office that, look, you know, whether you're in the majority or the minority, you can still get things done if you don't care who gets the credit. So, you know, I'm working in the minority, I have no problem going to my fellow colleagues who are Democrats and saying, if it's a good bill, hey, would you sponsor this? Or, you know, and I'll be a co-sponsor or co-sponsor, whatever it may be, you know, and by doing so, you don't care who gets the credit, because it's not important. What's important is that it gets done, okay? It, we're the same. That's exactly what I did with the, my early literacy bill. I went to Representative Justin Fleming, who's a Democrat out of Harrisburg, his freshman year. I said, look, um, I know I'm in the minority now. I don't care if my name is on this bill. All I care is that it gets done. Exactly. And he was happy to do it. And we've been working on this together in a bipartisan fashion. And we look, we're going to get this done one way or another. And again, I don't care if my name's on it or not. Uh, honestly, I hope we pass it with his name on it, gets signed in, into law by the governor. It'll be his, I believe, his first bill. I'm going to show up to the signing of the bill with the governor, and you best believe I'm going to take credit for leading that initiative. But I don't care if my name's on the bill. He can ha probably hang it in his office. At the end of the day, every kid in Pennsylvania is going to be able to read because of that legislation. That's what I care about. And, and that's what's important. You know, Jason, 
as always, the time on this show just seems to, you know, fly by. Reminds us when we were growing up, right? Summers used to last forever. <laughs> now we're adults. And my gosh, you blink. You know, look, the Steelers are coming back next week, right? I know. I know. And practice restarts. So, you know, the, where has the summer gone, right? And we're not even into August. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to go, folks. Jason, anything you'd like to say to the folks before we go? No, just everyone out there, keep working. We've got a very important election coming up this fall. We can't sleep on it. We all have to show up. We have to get everybody out to, to vote. Please, if you can, donate money uh, to your local Republican candidates. Get out to vote. Do everything you can. Go door knocking, lit drops, make phone calls. Do everything you can in this election uh, to get Republicans in the office. Folks, you heard it. You don't have to listen to me because I usually do that. You can listen to Jason, okay? Again, both of us, we don't care who gets the credit. We care if it gets done. Folks, until next week, this is Sam DeMarco, the elephant in the room, signing off, WJAS, 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. Have a great weekend.